The following is a message from Christ the King Presbyterian Church in Roanoke, Virginia. For more information about the ministry of Christ the King, please visit us at ctkroanoke.org. Good morning. Good morning. Welcome to Christ the King. Uh, for those of you who don't know me, my name is Penny, and I'm the senior pastor here, and uh, it is good to be with you. Uh, if you are a guest or a visitor, welcome. Uh, we are glad that you're with us this morning as we gather for worship, as we sing praise to our God, as we uh, honor him uh, in this service. And this morning, we're continuing in our series in the book of Romans. And so if you have a Bible, you can turn to Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8. If you don't have a Bible, there are Bibles in the chairs in front of you, and we'll be projecting the passage on the screens in just a moment. And if you did come here this morning and you you don't have a Bible, uh, you don't uh, have one at home, or you didn't bring one with you, uh, you are welcome to take that one in the chair with you today. We would love for you to have that. That is our gift to you. But we're looking at Romans 8 this morning, and if you've been with us for the last few weeks, you know that we are slowing down as we've come to Romans 8. We've been moving through the book of Romans at a, a steady pace, but as we've come to this wonderful chapter, this chapter that's filled with so much theological richness and depth and, and great comfort to God's people that, that we're slowing down a little. And so this morning, we're only going to look at a few verses, verses 12 through 17. And in these verses, Paul is continuing his discussion from last week, from the passage from before. Our passage this morning begins, so then. So then means he's picking up what he was talking about last week, right? And what he was talking about there was that those who are in Christ, those who have been filled with the Holy Spirit, who by the work of the Holy Spirit were once dead to sin, but now are made alive, that we are those who now live no longer according to the flesh. That because of the work of the Spirit, we have been changed. We have been transformed. And Paul is continuing with that argument this morning as he picks up in verse 12 when he says, So then, brothers, we are debtors not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. And we ask that by your spirit now, you would uh, lead us into your truth. That you would um, direct our ways and that you would allow the words of my mouth to give you praise. We ask that the meditations of our hearts and the attentiveness of our spirits would, would be directed towards you. And that you would be honored by this time. We pray all this in Christ's name. Amen. Well, on February 5th, 2017, uh, the New England Patriots were taking on the Atlanta Falcons in Super Bowl 51. 
If you remember Super Bowl 51, this was uh, a game in which the Patriots were down by a great uh, number of points at halftime, but, but yet they kept fighting and they kept battling, right? The, the players for the Patriots, right? Uh, Tom Brady and, and, and Gronkowski and, and Chris Long, they, they continued to battle and they continued to fight against the Falcons. And, and lo and behold, the, the Patriots, they came back. They had this amazing comeback. In fact, one of the greatest comebacks in the history of the Super Bowl. And, and they were led by these men, by people like Tom Brady and Chris Long, to victory. That was Super Bowl 51. Well, a year later in Super Bowl 52, those same New England Patriots were back in the Super Bowl. They weren't playing the Atlanta Falcons anymore. They were now playing the Philadelphia Eagles. But all those players were still there. Tom Brady, Gronk. Chris Long, but there was something a little different about this game because Chris Long, who, who many of you maybe know because of his connections to Virginia and UVA, Chris Long, who was once playing for the Patriots and donning the red, white, and blue of New England, was now wearing the green of the Philadelphia Eagles. You see, in Super Bowl 51, Chris Long was working and striving and pushing and fighting to, to bring victory to the Patriots. But then a year later, he was doing everything he could to oppose them, to defeat them, so that they would lose. So think about that. Think about that, how his allegiance had changed in just a few months' time. One year after Super Bowl 51, he was now going up against the very team that he was playing for a year ago. Though he was once a patriot, his allegiance had now changed so that it would have been scandalous and it would have been wrong if in Super Bowl 51 or 52 he would have been pulling for and trying to have his former team win. It would have been scandalous. Because his allegiance had changed. He no longer had obligation to help the patriots. Instead, he was now obligated to help them lose. (laughs) To oppose them, to defeat them. That obligation had changed. And that's what Paul is telling us about us. That our allegiance has changed, that we once had allegiance to the flesh, but now, because of the Spirit, our obligation to sin is no more. We are now obliged to follow the Spirit. That's how our passage began. So then, brothers, we are debtors, not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. That language of debtor, it has the implication of obligation, And we know that that's what comes with a debt, right? When we are in debt to someone or to something, we are taking on an obligation that we will one day pay that debt back. We're obligated to it. And so what Paul is telling us is that before the Spirit came into our lives, before Christ had redeemed us, we were those who were obligated to the flesh. But no more. No more. You see, instead of being debtors to the flesh and living according to the flesh, since our allegiance has changed, we are now those who are obligated to the Spirit and opposed 
to the flesh. We oppose the flesh. Right? That's what Paul has said, that we're not obligated to the flesh, to live according to it. And in verse 13, he goes on and says, For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But by the Spirit you, but by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. The famous uh, Puritan theologian John Owen once put it this way. He said, you will be killing sin or it will be killing you. And that's what Paul's telling us, isn't it? That we must oppose and put to death and mortify sin or sin will put us to death. And this is an argument that Paul's been making throughout the book of Romans, isn't it? I mean, this is what Paul's been building towards, right? We've heard language about how we have fallen short of the glory of God, how all have sinned, how the wages of sin is death, how we were once under the power of sin. And even those who have been freed from that power, we still fight and wage war against it and have to kill it. Paul keeps returning to this danger of sin and reminding us of it. And it's good that he does. Because it's very easy, isn't it, for us to think sin, it's not that bad. It's not that serious. I mean, I know it once was, but now we're under grace. Now we've been freed from the power of sin. Now we have God's forgiveness and his care and his love. And so, you know, a little bit of sin here or there, who's it really going to hurt? Who will it really bother? And as soon as, we start, as soon as we start entertaining those sorts of thoughts, we actually start acting like Dustin from Stranger Things. Some of you probably have never seen the show Stranger Things on Netflix. It's, it's the show about a, a group of kids who are living in a small Midwestern town. And this small mis- Midwestern town is taken over by this supernatural force. And in season two, Dustin, one of these kids, he comes across this little alien sort of creature. It's got a tail and it's got claws and fangs, and, but it's a baby. It's, it's an infant, and so Dustin can hold it. And he can stick it in his backpack, and he rides around town with it back there, and he feeds it, and he cares for it, and he nurtures it because it's just a baby. And really, it, it doesn't pose any threat to him, or at least he doesn't think it does. The adult versions, yes, they're scary and they destroy and they kill people and they rip, you know, limb from limb and all those sorts. But this is just a little baby. And so Dustin holds it and cares for it and loves it. Because as far as he can tell, it poses no real threat. But then it grows. And he can't keep it in his backpack anymore. And the fangs get a little bit longer and the claws get a little bit sharper. And he can't control it anymore. And the very thing that he had nurtured and cared for and held on to, it turns on him. And that's what sin does to us. You see, we think that we can control it. We think we can hold on to it. We think it, it really won't do much damage. We put it in the metaphorical backpack and we carry it around. And we don't think it's all that scary. But friends, it's dangerous. 
You see, as soon as we start thinking just, you know, a quick lustful glance or a short gossiping word or a little indulging of hate in our hearts, what, what will that hurt? What difference will that make? As soon as we start entertaining those ideas, what we are doing is giving fertile soil for that sin to grow and to grow and to grow. And it controls us. And it kills us. You see, Dustin should have, as soon as he saw that little baby creature, he should have went into the shed and grabbed a pitchfork and stabbed that thing and put it to death. And that's the very thing we need to be doing with our sin, with our flesh. We don't hold on to it. We don't nurture it. We kill it. And we kill it by depending on the Spirit. We kill it by relying on God's Spirit, by praying to the Lord, by leaning into relationships with one another. That is how we kill it. We snuff it out. We are no longer debtors to the flesh. We are those who oppose the flesh. We are those who oppose it, and we oppose it not just because it will kill us if we don't, but we oppose it because we are adopted by the Father. We're adopted by God. Our status as people have changed. We are adopted by God. That's what Paul says in verse 14. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. And then explicitly in verse 15, he says, we have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. Paul says we're sons. Now, don't let that language of son mess you up. You know, he's not saying this is only for men, (laughs) right? Later on, he's going to call us children. We are sons and daughters. That's who we are. That those who are filled with the Holy Spirit, who are led away from sin, who are led by the Holy Spirit, as though that were not enough, he goes on and says we are adopted into God's family. And here, maybe some of you might be wondering, but, but aren't we all part of God's family? Like, aren't we all God's children? You know, that like universal brotherhood of man sort of thing? Well, it is true that all people are created by God, but the Bible is clear that before Christ entered into our lives, before we were changed by the Spirit, we, we were not children of God. No, we were children of the enemy. We were children of the flesh. We were spiritual orphans rebelling against God. That's who we once were, but now we're part of the people of God. The family of God, we actually heard in our assurance of pardon, didn't we? Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. This is what God has done to us. You see, he brings us into his family. It's not something that we do for ourselves. Right? It's not that we looked around and we decided, you know what, being part of God's family is better than being a spiritual orphan. So I'm going to go ahead and pursue after God. It didn't work that way. Right? That's not how adoption works. Ken and I have some friends, Jack and Carrie. They adopted this little girl named Abby. They adopted her from China. And so when the day of the adoption came, they, they got on a plane and they flew across the world. And they took all their paperwork, and they took all the money, and they took all the things they needed to take with them, and and they went to the orphanage. 
And they put Abby in their arms and they flew back home. Abby didn't write them letters, say, please adopt me, right? She was an infant. Abby didn't get on a plane and fly over to America and look for this family that would receive her into their family. No, that's not how adoption works. Adoption is that the mother and the father, they, they go and they pursue that child. They go and get her, and that's what they did. They went across the world to get this one and to bring her into their family. And they did so out of love. And that's what the father does with us. That's how adoption works. Out of love, God sent his son to take on flesh and to, to give life where there was once death to forgive us of our sins and to bring us into his family to be adopted sons and daughters. That's what God has done. I mean, think about that, y'all. Like, let that sit on you for a little bit. That the creator of the universe, the sovereign of the world, we call him father. Right? By the work of the spirit, we cry out, Abba, Father. Many of you know this, that word Abba, it, it has an intimate or an affectionate tone to it. it. It's not the formal Father, it's more like saying Daddy or Papa. That's what we call the creator of the universe. The Lord over all? Father? Daddy? Papa? J.I. Packer, the great theologian, once said, if you want to judge how well a person understands Christianity, find out how much he makes of the thought of being God's child and having God as his father. If this is not the thought that prompts and controls his worship and prayers and his whole outlook on life, it means that he doesn't understand Christianity very well at all. If you are trusting in Christ this morning, that's who you are. You are adopted sons and daughters of the king. If you are trusting in Jesus, then you are brothers and sisters to the Lord. That's beautiful. Y'all, that changes everything. But maybe you're sitting here and you're thinking, you know, this language, adoption, sons and daughters. I mean, it, it sounds all well and good, but maybe you're thinking, well, well, how do I really know, though? How can I know for sure that I'm a son and daughter of, of the Father? How do I know that I've been adopted into his family? We don't ask that question of natural families, right? Right, Lane and Mead and Cole, they, they've never doubted that I'm their dad, right? They've grown up, you know, hearing me uh, say I love you, hearing words of affection, them calling me dad. You know, they, they've never wondered. Now, now, you know, sometimes brothers and sisters play with one another, and, you know, like when I convinced my brother he was adopted, <laughs> and, you know, circus people left him at our doorstep. But, um, but you know, but, but that notwithstanding, that notwithstanding, we don't wonder that about our natural families, right? But what about our Heavenly Father? How do we know, how do we have the assurance that we are part of his family? Well, Paul tells us we're assured by the Spirit. 
We see it in verses 16 through 17. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God, and if children, then heirs, heirs of God, and fellow heirs with Christ. Do you hear that? The Holy Spirit testifies and confirms that we belong to God. He gives us an inner sense that we are his. And we've known this, right? I mean, think back. Some of you who can remember when you first believed, when you first came to faith, when the gospel first became real to you, perhaps like me, in those moments leading up to that time when you first believed, you were filled with with guilt and conviction over your sin. But when you believed and when the gospel became real and you trusted in Jesus, the, the anguish was relieved. You were comforted by his forgiveness. Right? You felt it. You experienced it. It wasn't just a cognitive awareness. It wasn't a mental ascent. You, you experienced it in your very spirit. That was assurance. Assurance that not only your sins had been forgiven, but that you were loved by God. Or perhaps think about a season of prayer. Or a time when you've been in peace in the midst of a situation that would normally bring anxiety. Where does that peace come from? Where does that comfort come from? That is God's Holy Spirit testifying to you that you are loved. That you are a child of God. Yes, I'm talking about spirit and emotion and feeling, right? It's not just cognitive awareness. It's not just mental assent that that the Spirit actually works in our spirit to confirm that we belong to Jesus, that we are part of God's people. And this assurance is important because in times of difficulty and struggle and anguish, we can start to doubt whether we are really part of his people. But look what Paul says. He goes on, if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him. So what Paul is helping us to see is that suffering is not an indicator that you've been orphaned or abandoned. Instead, suffering with Christ is part of what it means to be a child of God. Now look, I know this is completely contrary to our Western sensibilities, right? I mean, that, that is not uh, how we function in our world. Because we do everything we can to avoid and minimize suffering, right? And, and don't hear what I'm not saying. I'm not saying that we pursue suffering, that we're gluttons for punishment. I'm not saying that. But what I am saying is we shouldn't be surprised when suffering comes. When difficulty arises, when struggle ensues. I mean, after all, if our Savior suffered and died and our brother Jesus experienced anguish and opposition, what makes us think that we won't? I mean, Jesus himself said in John chapter 16, in this world you will have tribulation. And friends, it's in the midst of trial and struggle, and it's in the midst of difficulty and suffering, it's in the midst of tribulation that the Spirit assures us that we are his. But he not only assures us we're his children, he also assures us we're heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ. That's who we are. 
those who will inherit a glory to come. That's how our passage ends, that we may also be glorified with him. Friends, that is good news, isn't it? That the last word of our passage isn't struggling and suffering, it's glory. It's glory. The Spirit assures us that one day we will inherit the riches of the Father. Peter, in 1 Peter chapter 1, describes it this way. He says, God has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you. Kept in heaven for you. Imperishable. Undefiled. That is the glory that is assured to us by God's Spirit. So friends, do not doubt Do not doubt, because if you are trusting in Christ and filled by his spirit, his spirit assures us today that we are adopted into the family of God, and his spirit assures us that tomorrow what awaits us is an inheritance of glory. Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you for your word, and we thank you for the ministry of your spirit and ask that by your spirit, you would give us that assurance that we are your people, that we would live out what it means to be your people, and that we would, Father, trust and depend upon you. Let us turn our eyes not to the things of this world, but instead to fix our eyes on Christ, the author and perfecter of our faith, the one who has sent the Spirit to assure us of who we are, adopted sons and daughters of the King. So assure us of that now, even as we stand and sing. We pray all this in Christ's name. Amen.